You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hey, welcome to the DIY Recording Guys. I'm Vadim Karaz. Last week, Ben and I did an episode on building guitar and bass tone from scratch. And we mentioned that we were going to do a bonus episode where we play examples and take you through our process. And I have a feeling that those tones are going to be on the heavier side. And I thought it would be cool to bring in a slightly different perspective. So I'm doing a special episode today with a guest. Cameron Davidson is the guitarist for Countdown from 10 and the guitarist and vocalist for All Right, Good Night, which is his new project. And uh, we're going to go through a lot of different stuff. I'm going to introduce him and the band fully after the little musical break here in a second. Uh, but just some notes on the episode. We talk about how Cameron builds a tone from scratch. His philosophy is very similar to mine. Uh, he's going to actually play examples and show us how he does that. He's also going to take us through some effects on his pedal board. He's got some really cool effects, some that I'm considering now myself. Uh, finally, we're going to talk about how they recorded their most recent album, which is called On the Instability of Air, in their basement. And you'll hear how they did it with a pretty minimal setup, um, really focusing on getting good tones going in in order to minimize any kind of fix-it-in-the-mix <laughs> mindset. And they did a great job. It's a great-sounding record. Uh, throughout the recording, Cameron is using two microphones, one for his voice and one for the guitar amp. So because he's moving around a lot, we kind of we did the best we could, but you'll hear that the volume jumps up and down a little bit sometimes, so just bear with us there. We also recorded this episode before all the coronavirus stuff really blew up, and the timing really sucked for Countdown from 10 because they had this new release and they had a tour plan. The tour ended up being canceled. I'm going to put links to them uh, and their, their new album and their information in the show notes, so definitely check them out. And uh, the, the band was kind enough to let us play some um, uh, play a sample off of their new release. So I'm going to do that so you can kind of get a feel for what they sound like. Um, whether you're a fan of, of the sound or not, I can almost guarantee that you'll still find something of value uh, from this interview. And finally, um, I really enjoy conversations like this. If you are a DIY musician and you have something of value you think you can add to our community... I'd love to hear from you and possibly do an episode with you. So send us a note, DIYrecordingguys at gmail.com. So here's a, a little sample from the new Countdown from 10 record called On the Instability of Air. And then we'll get to the interview. Enjoy.
One of my favorite bands operating out of Philly right now is a band called Countdown from 10. They are a trio that play this really energetic, groove-based rock that makes you want to dance, but it's also playing with tempos and meter changes and kind of pleasantly challenges you. Um, I've seen them live a handful of times. They put on a fantastic live show, and they're really a DIY band through and through. They play their own instruments and write their own songs, as bands should. They also produce and record their own music. They mix and master their own music. They book their own tours. They manage their own social media. And they have really, and a lot of it is tight performances, but they also have really great tones. So my guest today is Cameron Davidson, the guitarist from Countdown from 10. And we're going to be talking about all things related to building a guitar tone and then capturing that guitar tone for your recordings. Cameron Davidson, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I think ever since I saw you guys play live, I've been wanting to grab you and talk about guitar tones. So I'm super excited about this. We're going to get into uh, a lot of different topics, but before we do that, maybe just take some time to tell people about your background, how you started out playing guitar and uh, building tones, and then eventually how you got into recording. So how you got from there to here. I started out singing. Um, so I did a lot of singing when I was a kid. I was like in a lot of theater and stuff. I don't know, somewhere between like 10 and 12. I heard Green Day, which I know is really corny, but <laughs> I know it's really corny, but I had a connection with it, and uh, I realized that classical music, which is mostly what I was doing, it didn't really do a whole lot for me. So I wanted to start doing something um, different. So I got into playing guitar, and I started writing a lot of my own songs. The bassist from Countdown from 10, um, we started playing music together when we were like 15, and we've played music more or less consistently since then. So yeah, so now we're doing Countdown. I definitely feel like I've come a long way and that Countdown, it's something that I, I can honestly be really proud of, partly because we do everything ourselves. Yeah, man, for sure. I, I got a million questions for you, but I, I have to, because you mentioned Green Day, I laughed <laughs> because I had like a very similar story. Really? I still remember it was like right after Dookie came out, which I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I was at my friend's house and one of his friends was started talking about Green Day and asking me if I like Green Day. And I was like, no, what is, is that a holiday? <laughs> like, what is that? And he said, literally, I'll never forget this because it's such a funny thing for like a little kid to say, but he was like, Green Day's been the best band in the world for like six months now or something <laughs> like that. So I was like, oh That's man. True. So I, I remember I bought that cassette. It was like the first cassette I ever bought. So anyway, the point is I have a, a similar backstory where I think that was like one of the first rock punk albums that that really grabbed my attention that one in particular was the one that i when i heard it the first time i felt like it was earth shattering i really wanted to just learn how to play all those songs because i was just curious how you know how they made that i think probably you had perhaps a similar experience yeah for sure um not to not to hijack me interviewing you <laughs> but yeah i started similarly with um playing the piano which was you know traditionally play a lot of classical music on that and after um hearing that green day album and then a few few other things was kind of where i wanted to, to start playing the guitar so through your journey you got a guitar you started writing songs 
at what point were you considering recording and considering getting your stuff actually down where you can share it with people? Honestly, I, I think that literally from the moment that I realized I wanted to write and play rock music, the first thing that I really wanted to do was be able to put something in, in people's hands and that they could go home and listen to. I wanted to give something to people that they could connect to. I, honestly, I don't even know when I started recording, but I wouldn't say that I ever made anything that sounded good until I was probably <laughs> sounding good. As, it's such a threshold. I'm like, man, did I do anything like that when I was 18 or 20? Or is it just the record that Countdown put out that I'm like really proud of, you know? But I, I used to make a lot of crappy demos on computers flying around the house. It is an interesting journey because I agree with you. I feel like every time you through the process of, of making a recording, you just have no choice but to learn a lot, right? So every Absolutely. time you kind of finish a project, I've, I've always felt, okay, the next one I do, now I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah, it, you, I mean, it's all about building and, and learning and, and making mistakes and uh, trying to learn from them as best you can. So talk a little bit about your, your tone journey. I feel like for, you know, for a guitarist, tone is a very personal thing. How did you... Just starting out, you know, getting to know what you liked, what you didn't like, and, and building building your tone. It's kind of a difficult question. I, I really only became interested in tone maybe a, like two or three years ago, which is funny because I had been playing shows out a lot. I'm lucky that I came into the possession of a couple of different vintage amps, um, one of which is a, is a 59 Bassman that was my dad's and he didn't even know what it was when he owned it when he was a kid and it, it hadn't been played for like 30 years and was sitting in a closet somewhere his brother had found it and um it has this incredible sound and i got really into tube amps even though i i really feel like i didn't really know what i was doing with it then just from like being really lucky i i had this friend who was selling an ampeg v4 it's it's like hard to get a bad tone out of it and so I feel really lucky that I was able to buy it off of him. I, I think when we were talking about um, building a tone, you know, we were talking about how really at the base of any good tone, any, any like gainy tone, any distorted tone is a pleasant sounding clean tone. I think the first step to building any good tone really is dialing in just the raw guitar, no effects. Um, so I have my I have my V4 set up right here, and what I did is I just put everything to like the 12 o'clock position, so it's all you know ostensibly like a, a flat EQ. I'll play for you what that sounds like. But before you actually before you do that, um, go ahead. Talk about just mention briefly what kind of guitar you're using. Oh, for sure. Okay, so this is uh, I I have no idea what year it is. It's a it's a Mexican Fender Stratocaster. Um, it has um, a humbucker in the um, bridge pickup, and then the other two are single coil pickup. Mm -hmm. For the majority of the countdown from 10 stuff that I play, I'm almost always using the bridge pickup. Th this is what it sounds like with the flat EQ uh, through the V4. Really, the only other pickup that I use in Countdown is the neck pickup. Here's what that sounds like. 
Like I said, the the EQ is totally flat right now. I actually think that just the guitar and the amp alone, I, I honestly think that already sounds like really sweet. I'll just make incremental changes to the tone and show you kind of what that sounds like. You're you're hitting on some of the challenges of, of what I think you know, building a guitar tone and why it's so difficult is because there's just... If we're going to break it down, we're just going to say there's so many knobs yeah. <laughs> that we can twist, right? Definitely. Just before your signal even leaves the guitar, you have a volume knob and two-tone knobs, possibly one or two-tone knobs, and a pickup selector switch. So I guess starting with the guitar, what are you what are you doing? How do you decide whether to start tweaking things on the guitar versus on the amp? A lot of the time, I don't really do a whole lot with the the knobs on the guitar. So, so you, just, you just keep them pretty much dimed on 10? Actually, with the with the bridge pickup, um, especially for this song that we have on the new record, Potashez, I kind of just roll I roll it off, and I pretty much just keep it in that position. Throughout our set, I'm really just shifting in between this sort of darker sounding pickup and this really bright really kind of strong sounding pickup. Gotcha. Yeah, and that would be the, the, the bridge humbucker. Yeah. For people who, if you don't play guitar, if you're just starting out, the tone is what it is, and then the tone ops kind of roll off some of that high end. Yeah. So they're, they're, they are cutting down and kind of darkening the tone a little bit. Is it the high end and the low end? Um. Yeah, I don't know if there's... De- I, I know they definitely roll off the high end. I don't know if they do anything to the low end or not. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if they're... And there's probably different ways... There's different ways to wire them, too. Like, you don't... Maybe not all the pickups have to be wired through the the tone knobs. And anyway, it's something worth uh, playing around with. But so, yeah, so go ahead. You, you're starting to talk about tweaking stuff on the um, on the amp. Yeah, totally. I kind of go for, like, a really trebly present and clear tone. So I try to be fairly minimal with the things that I'm changing on the amp because I really try to like retain the sound of the guitar. I'll start with the mids because the mids kind of give the guitar like a lot of that meaty quality, but I kind I feel like I kind of do the mids and treble at the same time, you know, just going back and forth. That's like another like tick mark of mids there. This is like one and a half more tick marks, if that makes any sense. What, um, could you describe the, uh, what are all the knobs on the amp? Oh, totally. Okay. So the first knob, uh, farthest to the left is the volume for channel one, which is the only channel that I use. Um, then you have, uh, the volume for channel two. Um, which is also a clean channel. It just has two. Then you have the treble knob, the mids knob, the bass knob, and then a reverb knob. And I never use the reverb on the amp. The only reverb that I use is on my pedal board. And that's really just because I kind of like to have as much flexibility with what's happening with the amp as I can uh, while, while I'm playing live. I just kind of try to only use reverbs from the pedal board for that reason. Because they're you can control them exactly because I could I can turn it off if I if for some reason I don't want it, 
Um, there are just some rooms that, you know, you might start playing and it just sounds like way too washy. And also, like, I don't have to, if I want to just, like, turn down the reverb a little bit, I don't have to run 15 feet back to the amp, you know, I can just reach down and do it that way. Gotcha. All right, so you've so you've gone up a tick and a half on the mids and about the same on the on the treble knob. So basically you're saying mids gives you, I mean, the guitar is kind of a mid-rangey instrument, so that's mm-hmm. giving you kind of some of that meat that you're looking for, and the treble is just giving you that that brightness that you like, yeah? I also find that sometimes instead of turning up the volume of the amp, you can just turn up the mids. Sometimes, like, that's that's really all you need. Um, I remember one time I was trying to, like, get a decent tone in this giant room in this house that we were playing in Chicago, and it had this big, wide-open hall where we were kind of playing. And um, I at the, at the time, I was, like, really anti-mids for some reason, And my friend Max from the Planet U, who was on tour with us at the time, he just turned up the mids a bunch. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And I had no idea what it was. But from then on, I I, I put that information in my back pocket, you know. I think the most famous example of like a guitarist with really scooped mid sound is probably Dimebag Daryl, where you get that. It's kind of a it's an interesting sound, uh, definitely worth playing around with. But I agree with you. The mids tend to kind of just give a lot more body and and thickness to uh to the guitar also like clarity live i just i just think that having played with some people who just totally make the choice to just scoop the mids from their sound i feel like in a live setting it doesn't cut really um Mm. and you can't really make out exactly what the notes are like it just gives it gives the notes like definition and clarity and i attribute a lot of my sound to using a decent amount of mids so what i try and do is i kind of try and get it to that clear strong sound with like the treble in the mids so that sounds like pretty close to the tone that i use so i just gave it I turned it up maybe another another tick mark, like another tick and a half on the treble or something like that, or a little less than that, and then like three quarters of the way to the next tick on the mids. Okay, and your and your bass control is still at twelve o'clock, yeah. It is. So so now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna listen and see what it's lacking in the low end. And you can definitely hear that like it needs a little bit more. Because it doesn't really have, it doesn't, it just doesn't have that bottom, you know. So I'm going to put some in. To me, that sounds pretty good. And so again, you're you're really planning for your your kind of distorted, crunchy rhythm tone. Yeah. But you're building it from the clean tone, which which I really like because we we always yeah. talk about the pyramid of of anything, right? Where the the bass is the most important part. And you're saying, yeah, the base of my tone is the guitar and the amp, and that's what you're dialing in first. So that that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, if I'm playing a Stratocaster, I kind of want it to sound like a Stratocaster. 
So I, I, I try and look at really what the guitar and the amp sound like on their own and then build the tone around that. My amp is making some noises now, probably because I need to change tubes in it or something. By the way, is that, is, that the amp you're, um, is that your main amp? Is that the amp you're using live right now? Yes, yeah. The, I use this okay. amp for, for literally everything. I use it for okay. recording. I use it for, yeah, I use it for playing live. I use it for practicing and recording demos. Yeah, totally. Nice. So now we'll look at another pedal. This is just a Boss Super Overdrive. Once again, I put everything to, to 12 o'clock, but we're going to quickly change that. I just want to show you, because I, I feel like when you when you approach a pedal by kind of seeing what it's like in the middle of everything, you kind of get a sense for what the real character of that pedal is. And then you can start manipulating it from there. Gotcha. And actually, just real quick, explain even in your thought process, why did you, why do you say, okay, now I'm going to put in an overdrive pedal? Like what's, what's your goal there? Um, it may sound, it may sound obvious, but <laughs> just want to go through it. I mean, it gives the guitar more presence. Um, it makes it seem louder and fuller. I took this world music class and we talked about how um, buzzy timbres are really popular all throughout world music. Hmm. There are a lot of African instruments where uh, musicians will put bells and stuff just to jingle while they're playing. You know, essentially he was saying, it seems like humans just like buzzy timbres and you can kind of see that <laughs> in rock in in rock guitar you know it's it's a sound that people like i don't exactly know why but i think i think that's those are some of the reasons i think okay all right so you got the pedal so right now it's just your guitar going into the what's the pedal again it's a boss uh sd1 okay so boss sd1 and then and then right into the amp from there right so you basically mm -hmm. have your you've had your guitar into amp tone set up and now mm -hmm. you're just putting the pedal the overdrive pedal in between the two exactly yeah okay and so everything's at 12 o'clock right now. Again, like the clean tone is... Um if I put the overdrive in... And maybe that's, maybe that's a tone that, you know, you might want to use, but... Uh, personally, I, I really actually like to use this pedal as just kind of a really small, sparkly coloration. Um, mm. So I, I, I don't generally use it in this real, real sort of like distortion setting. I'll, I'll actually um, just turn um, the level of the pedal up all the way and um, I'll turn the drive down almost all the way. So now again, this is just clean. And then this is with the pedal. This pedal has three knobs on it. It's got a level knob, um, a drive knob and a tone knob. So it's it's a really simple pedal, which I, I kind of like. I, what I try and do when I'm like, when I'm messing with drives is sort of mimic what the guitar actually sounds like with the amp. So I'm just trying to use this as, as like a color. So.
I, I try and just think about what it what it really sounds like. And to me, the the clean tone it sounds darker than the than what the pedal is giving me right now. So I'll take some of the I'll turn the tone knob down a little. Cool. Yeah. So just to again to plant the flag there, because I like what you're doing a lot, is you're the first thing you're trying to do is just understand the character of the pedal, right? So you have everything exactly. kind of on neutral, you engage the pedal and just you're just listening, which is really cool. You're just listening for, oh yeah, what's it doing to the tone I've already set up as baseline? Exactly. And a lot of these overdrive pedals, I mean, there's kind of, there's two reasons to use them. One is to color your tone and two is to kind of boost into your amp, boost the signal mm. going into your amp. And if you're ever wondering, like the, diff the, the distortion knob typically on these on overdrive pedals is actually adding distortion, which may sound obvious, but the gain knob is typically like a clean gain. So what you're saying there is you actually don't want a lot of the distortion from the pedal. So you're turning the distortion knob all the way down. You still want the boost into your amp because you like your amp tone. So yes. you're turning the gain all the way up. And then that middle knob, the tone knob, you're, it sounds like it basically has some kind of like EQ characteristics. And you're, that's what you're going to play around with right now. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a way better way of saying everything I just said. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So I turn it down a little bit. I'll show you once again, just at, at 12 o'clock. This is clean. With the pedal. I turned it down, so now it's, now it's around 11 o'clock or so. And see, like, now, that's sounding a lot more what the guitar really sounds like to me. It just has a little bit of that buzz. Really still has like that Strat sound. So that's that's probably where I'll keep it. Uh, so yeah. in your chain, I mean, you're going to, I guess, keep going. And uh, maybe you might answer this before I ask it. So I'm not going to lead the witness here. Okay. Um, well, I was just going to say... That's like my, my secondary drive. That's what I'll use as like a boost a lot of the time. So I'll show you what my, what my primary drive sounds like. Once again, this is really simple. It's just bass, mid, and treble. I, I put all of those to be at 12 o'clock. Um, and I, I actually turned the drive down all the way. I like to kind of be able to just bring up the drive. Uh, I, I feel like I have a lot of ability to just see just how much I need and to kind of be able to stop there because I couldn't exactly tell you the exact purpose of of drive for me and my tone but I, I try and have as little as possible because I really want to maintain that clarity I found over the years that um, I would put too much drive into my tone and not be able to hear any notes that I was playing um, in a recording later so I, this mm. is really, for me, this is kind of the best way to try and avoid that. So here's, so here's what it sounds like. It's, it's funny cause it's going to get really loud, really fast, but it does not sound like it's like, it's really driving. I'll start bringing in the drive to see what is enough.
That's like plenty of drive. So this is what I do. So I keep going back and forth. I'll 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 check to see if it sounds tonally similar to the way the guitar just sounds on its own. That might actually be too much drive. Because I feel like it's starting to impair the clarity a little bit. I, I think that more or less like keeps the character. You know, it sounds it sounds good in the room. I hope it sounds good in the mic. Of note too that you're playing like these chords and arpeggios almost because that's what you're going for, right? That's what <laughs> that's what's contained in your song. So you want to exactly. make sure you're retaining the note to note clarity. Now, when you say this is your primary drive, does that mean that it comes first in your chain, or just that it's your it's responsible primarily for your drive tone? Yeah, it, it's really more of the latter. It's it's really responsible for. Um, most of the drive sounds that you hear on uh, the countdown stuff, and I'm I'm this is all a drive that's coming out of a Line Six M9, which is um, it's a like a multi effects unit. All the sounds in it are are really usable. It's also it's it, it's sturdier than like um, say the Line Six DL4, which is notorious for breaking. This one's in like um, a metal housing and. It's held up for me for a while, and it's it's like it's really one of my most used pedals. So I use it for that primary drive sound, um, mostly because it doesn't have like a built-in high pass or low pass filter. Like for example, this super overdrive, you, you can really hear, especially if you're playing something like bass through it, you can really hear that it's cutting some of that some of that range. Uh, do you want to explain what those things are? Yeah, sure, sure. Um. Yeah. So yeah, high pass filter, low pass filter. So it's if you think kind of breakdown, and I still have to do this all the time too to remember which one is which. So a high pass filter allows you got to think of like Gandalf, right? You shall not pass. So <laughs> it lets the high. That's my. It's my. Uh, I got to do a Lord of the Rings thing every episode, or else uh, contract is void. So, uh, so high pass filter lets high frequencies pass through. So it's filtering out some of the low frequencies, some of that really kind of bassy, muddy stuff, which can be good for a guitar at times, especially if you're playing with a bass and you're trying to balance a bass tone with a guitar tone. And then a low-pass filter is the opposite. So it's letting low frequencies pass through and lopping off some of the high end. So so you're saying that the the line six, the, the drive on that pedal that you're using 
does not have those filters, correct? Yeah, it does not. No. For example, like on the on the super overdrive, though, like it does, it, it really does affect your tone. Um, but one way that you can use that kind of like mid boost that it has is that you can use it to just, I don't know, the, the way I kind of think about it is like sort of like trimming the tone so that you're getting more of those mids and you can really, you, you can be sort of more audible in like particular sections if you use it as mm. just like a boost over your clean tone or like an already distorted tone or something like that. Presumably it's got similar settings to the boss where like you have some kind of distortion control and then you also have like a clean boost control. What's the balance between those two that you're striking? That's a good question. So I guess the clean boost on this particular um, this particular effect, uh, the, the tube drive is what the, the line six drive that I'm using. Uh, I guess the clean boost would really be the output. Um, and I actually just yes. have that. I just have that up all the way. Um, it, it, it seems like, like, I guess it does, it does boost the volume a little bit. Actually, you can hear it. It actually boosts it a lot, but, uh, I, I guess I, I tend to use that, um, in countdown. I, I, uh, a lot of our clean, like the sections where I'm playing clean, I either want to specifically be quieter or, um, we're just playing dynamically quieter as a group. Um, but uh, so right now I, I literally have that turned up all the way and then I have um, I have the drive set to probably like maybe 20 percent or something like that on the effect. Gotcha. So that's kind of what I was interested in, because so the way and this is why a lot of people love tube amps is because tube amps, it's kind of like if you think about like if you're coming from a recording background, you think about like tape as you hit the tubes harder, or you hit the tape harder you eventually kind of overload the circuitry or the, the you know the tape itself or the tubes themselves hmm. and then you get the signal starts to break up and that's what distortion is and um if you're using a lot of clean boost into your amp you can actually that means your your a lot of your distortion may actually be coming from the tubes which is one way to do it and it sounds like you're kind of striking a little bit of a balance there cuz the other way to do it would be to get all your distortion coming from something like a pedal and then you know, kind of get get go have that distorted signal go into a clean amp, which is commonly done with like fuzz pedals. I know. So hmm. it sounds like you're so you're kind of you're dimed out on the boss. Is the boss pedal always on for the most part? No, um, th that's that's a pedal that I'll use. Um, I, I use in like specific sections for, um, uh, for for different reasons. Um. Uh, there are sometimes uh, where I'm playing like mostly clean guitar for not necessarily countdown, but just in other settings um, where um, I'll I'll just kind of use it, like I said, just to give it like kind of like a dusting of of that um, buzziness. Gotcha. It sounds almost just like you're just pushing an amp really hard, you know. That makes sense. So yeah, so you're 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 really maximizing how much the clean boost on both of those pedals, which again makes sense because you're saying, well, yeah, I like my amp tone, so that's going to be my that's where my primary tone is going to come from and then even to get some of that breakup, you're just pushing the tubes harder, which which is definitely a cool way to do it. That's one of the things that people really love about tube amps is that tube saturation that you get. Absolutely, yeah.
I'm actually also curious on pedal order and how you kind of decide what goes first and then what comes next and so on. In other iterations of this pedal board and other pedal boards that I've had, I've tried to have the tuner first. Um, a lot of the time that's kind of how guitarists do it, especially if you're like making loops or something like that to just add ambience in between songs. A tuner at the beginning of your pedal board can really provide a lot of uh, opportunities for you. Uh, also, like you're just getting it, you're just getting the guitar signal before it's going into like any other crazy pedals that you're about to, you're going right. to have on. Makes sense. Uh, actually, right now, the, the first thing in my pedal board is um, a TC Electronic Hypergravity, which is, um, it's, um, it's a compressor. And I, I actually really don't use it very much, but I've just found that um, through trial and error that having the compression like right at the beginning of the signal um, kind of leads for the optimal tone. I, I guess I tend to use compressor also as like a bit of a clean boost that, you know, really has no drive to it. And then uh, my pedal order is kind of weird. Um, and that's that's sort of intentional because um, I think that... <laughs> Uh, that that also leads to like you know interesting uh, sonic opportunities. I'll, I'll just like go down the line. The first one is the TC Electronic Hypergravity. Uh, the second one is the Electro Harmonics Synth Nine. Then I have a, another Electro Harmonics pedal. Uh, it's the Pitchfork, which is um, a pitch shifter. Should I should I explain maybe what a pitch shifter is? Do you think that would be yeah for sure? Yeah. Okay, all right. So. Um, so basically what you can do is you can it, it's a pedal that will just add any specific any given interval that you want over whatever you're playing. One of the most common chords in all of rock music is like a power chord, right? So so you can play that, you know, if this is the root, you can add that fifth above it like this, but you could also use a pitch shifter. And now every every note you have every note you play is going to have that fifth over it. And so it like I love it. yeah, and so it mimics it mimics all those bends. Which would be really difficult to do if you were trying to accomplish it just you know on the guitar. Uh, some guitarists call it a tone suck, like it, it does change your tone, but I, I actually kind of like the way it changes your tone. It sounds, it sounds a little computerized, but it, it also sounds kind of like just the resonance on a metal bowl. If you hit the bottom yeah. of a metal bowl, you know what That's I'm That's a saying? great description. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this, this pedal is polyphonic. So that means that you can play chords and it's just going to add that interval over every note in that chord. In regular A major. And now it has all these like fun, like jazzy upper extensions over it. And I really like, I really like the way that sounds. Uh, that pedal, does it, does it do other intervals other than um, a fifth up? Yeah, absolutely. I think before Digitech had a pedal that with like so many intervals on it, you know, the whammy, for example, that's, that's really kind of like your sort of boilerplate 
pitch shifter that you see on a lot of guitarist pedal boards. It's a it's a fantastic pedal, and um, I would love to have one at at some point. But the pitchfork takes up a lot less um, a lot less real estate on your pedal board. It also just it's just a lot cheaper. And if you're looking for like a weird kind of funky, really affected sort of sound, I think this is the pedal for that. the The whammy, uh, it sounds just like just like literally you're playing that pitch above whatever the note that you're playing on guitar is. Um, if it's set to a perfect fifth, it, it sounds like you're playing a perfect fifth on guitar. Um, it's a really, really gl- great pedal, but it, it has a lot of tone, tonal difference to it. Um, and for a long time, the, the whammies were not polyphonic, but the pitchfork is. Um, so you can get uh, any interval, I think, from... So you can literally get an interval in between uh, uh, just a unison and a minor second. So I'll show you what that sounds like. I never use this, but, you know, why not? It kind of just sounds like a chorus in this setting. Right. But then if we go up to a minor second... And it just it just sounds like it's an ice cream truck from a horror movie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It sounds <laughs> sounds really scary. And you can just go up. So I'll just I'll just go really quickly through all those intervals. So here here's I'll just play an open note. So actually, I didn't realize, but it, it is actually missing um, a decent amount of intervals in there. It's missing the, I guess it's missing the, what is it, the flat three and uh, a flat five and a flat six and a... Those sound like pretty impractical ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all said and done. It, well, I mean, so I, I think that the the fourth, uh, the fourth, the fifth, and the octave are probably the most usable. But if you want, right. if you just want to make your guitar sound like hell for, you know, 10 seconds of a song, you could always just throw it into that uh, minor second setting. Yeah, yeah, very cool. But yeah, that that first like fifth setting that I was using earlier. That's what I use in a lot of countdown stuff, at least uh, on the new record. I also use a lot of like octave down, which just that an octave down just kind of makes your guitar sound like a bass is playing in unison with your guitar. Then the next pedal that I have is, it's this pitch shifter. I'll use this very occasionally. If I wanna just kind of get a wacky, funky tone, I'll just, I'll throw that on. Do you listen to uh, the Mars Volta? Yeah. You know, uh, you know that like really crazy section in, um, I, I want to say it's Take the Veil, Serpent Taxed. Do you know that song? It's been uh, it's been a couple years, so not off the top of my head. Okay, it's at the end of uh, D. Laus in the Comatorium. There's this like really crazy effect that um, Omar puts on his guitar. There's like a bunch of crazy noise, and then they they get really quiet, and Omar comes back in with this super odd time dissonant riff, and he he puts this crazy effect on his guitar. And when I heard this pedal in the the step setting, I was like, that's that effect. And 
I actually recently mm. had a guitarist tell me it's not that effect, but <laughs> but it sounds like it. And then then I have the the super overdrive that goes into um, a Digitech digi delay. I want to say made in like the early 2000s, and it's like you know you can buy it used for like fifteen twenty dollars now, but it's it really is kind of like um like a hidden gem. I use that one for this kind of modulated delay setting, which I'll talk about later. And I also use it for these glitches that I do. I, I do a bunch of stuff like that in Countdown here and there. I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but at the beginning of um, a song that we play that's called uh, It's Pronounced Bach, I do this uh, loop thing. So I'm just kind of like... I'm kind of randomly looping these three notes to make this chord. And and that chord kind of leads us into the song. I've I've also con- I've considered getting a, a second one of these digi delay pedals um, just so I could do exclusively that with it because it's such a fun effect to play with. I have another pitch shifter. Uh, I just keep in an octave up. It can be like a really cool sound effect to throw in here and there. I use it also in It's Pronounced Bach uh, with the fifth up in the pitch shifter. So that's got a that's got like an expression pedal that you can vary. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So this and this is this is the slammy. So it's it's really similar to the the pitchfork but it's just got a built-in expression pedal. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and then I have uh, I have a tap delay. Basically, what a tap delay allows you to do is uh, you can tap the tempo of the song that you're playing, so you can get this, like, rhythmic delay effect. <laughs> then, of course, I have the uh, Line 6 M9. I think that's the second-to-last thing in my chain, because I... I We'll sometimes use it as a looper. One thing I, I find interesting about your live show is that you're um you're 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 tweaking stuff during the show, both like in the middle of songs and in between songs. Yep. So is it just from memory that you know your what your baseline tone is, or are you tweaking it kind of to the venue anyway? So it's you're pretty much starting from scratch every time. I do like to have a good at least five or 10 minutes to just play with my amp sound. Cause uh, I, I generally try and make sure that my pedals are going to sound good with my amp before we play a show. Um, but then once, once I get to the venue, I really find that it's, it's dialing in the parameters on my amp that really make the most difference in the, the live sound. As far as like changing the pedals uh, during songs, uh, a lot of the time I, I've, planned it out I, and I've thought about it and I, I actually try and practice all of our sets a couple of times in the week um, leading up to when we're going to play a show not just because I like to um, like have the music fresh in my fingertips but I also like to just know that I have all of the pedal changes square in my mind so that when when I get on stage I never have to worry about forgetting a particular delay or like forgetting to throw on a boost or something like that. So I actually I try to practice it all as one thing. I I tried to practice um changing the pedals 
along with playing the actual parts and guitar simultaneously. I think that's great advice. Yeah, for people practicing. I don't I don't play out much, but I feel like my tendency was always to just grab the guitar, not even plugged in and practice. But you're right. If you know if tone and pedals changes are a big part of your set, then that's a big part of your set, and you yeah. have to practice everything together. That makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like in the studio when it comes to recording, maybe moving on to the recording bit a little bit, is your goal? Do you find to kind of emulate your live sound, or was it vice versa? Like your your live goal is to emulate the album sound. We try to make it that the recorded sound represents what the live sound is. But it, it's kind of like um, a convoluted chicken or the egg type thing because I feel like I never would have really wanted pedals if it wasn't for hearing particular sounds in recorded music that I just didn't have the ability to emulate. And I kind of realized that if, you're, if you wait to add something in the studio and like you're it's just going to it's it's just going to take more time uh than like if you know that you can get that sound just directly out of your amp at least for me just because i don't have a whole lot of studio know-how and i've i've had experiences in the past um where we recorded at studios like professional studios that we were paying for and you know sometimes you're sitting there working with the engineer going through does this delay work does this delay work how about this one and you know just not finding anything that sounds the way you want it to sound so this is for me i i just try and make sure that basically all the recorded sounds we're putting onto a track are really more or less the sounds that i want coming out of the track because i feel like just not having to worry about going into a program and trying to find something, a particular sound that you have in your head. For me, it's a lot easier that way. For sure. And that's also how you become a, a mix engineer's best friend, by the way. It's <laughs> <laughs> just have good tones going in. And that, that, really, is, uh, that really is key. So, and, and by the way, I think you guys did a fantastic job of that. You know, the album, you. it, it kind of comes through. It, it matches your, you guys have a great live sound. And the album kind of represents that very, very well. Um, so talk a little bit about the recording process. You have your tone set up. You pretty much know what you're going for. How did you, where did you put your amp physically? What room was it in and how did you decide that? Was it a conscious decision or just kind of a matter of like, this is the room we have? And, and then what did you do with that room from there? It's funny you should ask that because where my amp is set up right now is exactly where I've recorded all of the guitars um, that I've been recording um, for like the last like year or so. So, okay. so it's uh, we record in um, our basement um, and it, we got really lucky. This basement, it's just uh, it's kind of like a really dry, dead room. Um, so we don't kind of, we, we, we can really kind of just record whatever we want and seemingly it comes out exactly how we want it to. Did you, did you do anything to treat it or is it just naturally dead like that? We put up some like blankets and stuff just to soundproof it for practicing. Um, but I, I think we just really lucked out and just got a house with a really dead <laughs> basement. 
um, which is definitely going to impact how long we stay here because that's that's <laughs> that's something that Ariel and I talk about all the time is if we moved, we wouldn't have this ama- amazing sounding room to record in, you know? Yeah. So is the is the kit in that room as well? The drum kit? Yeah. Um, yeah, we Sweet. record we record everything in this room. I, I mean, a lot of it. Uh, comes back to our really talented uh, drummer and engineer Dan Getty. He 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 very much knows what he's doing, and um, we we work a lot on like the sound going into the projects. You know, um, we well we never set up mics and like say you know oh you know it sounds okay, but we'll we'll probably just fix it later. You know, we we really try and make it so that everything going onto the track already sounds good because like you said it just it just makes for a way easier recording process sure cool so talk maybe a little bit about mic placement with respect to your amp i don't know it's yet another factor at the end of the chain that can have like a pretty drastic effect yeah on your tone so how did you go about settling first of all what describe how you're uh, what mic you're using and how it's positioned and then talk a little bit about how you settled on that position okay i don't even remember who told me this but basically um i was told that what you essentially want to do is have the mic just slightly off kilter with like facing the speaker uh, and you just want to have it slightly off center from um, from the speaker. So that's really all I try and do when I mic my amp. Um, uh, right now, I just have it. Th- it's on the speaker that I always use to record, which is really kind of an arbitrary choice. It's basically it's it's almost the dead center of the speaker cone, um, but it's it's off by I don't know like a centimeter or something like that. Really? So it's it's pretty much on center, but you're saying just a hair off center? Just a hair off center, yeah. I that that was okay. that was just like the note that someone gave me a few years ago when I was like making demos or something like that. Someone just dropped that little tidbit and I went, Okay, I guess that's how I'll do it. So that's how I've been doing it. Gotcha. And now what mic are you using? It's just an SM fifty seven. Just a really, you know, really basic don't don't say it's just an sm57 that is the classic that is the classic mic for uh for miking loud loud amps i love i love it for doing everything we use it for (laughs) so that's probably like honestly like the the 57 is kind of the key to our recorded sound because almost everything on our record was recorded with 57s no kidding what else are you using it for we i think dan does a top snare mic and a bottom snare mic and both of those are 57s yep what else does he use? I think I think for the toms, he also uses fifty sevens. I I want to say that's the case. And then for for the overheads, he has like little condenser microphones that he uses. Uh, and I don't know. I wish I could tell you what he used for the kick drum. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. I mean, the SM fifty seven. A lot of people speculate that it, it's it's one of these mics that it's less it's still less than a hundred dollars i think yeah. it's like 99 dollars literally yeah and people speculate that sure just uses it as kind of like a like a marketing tool like we're <laughs> like we're gonna give you this awesome mic for not that expensive and get you to like our brand and i wonder if that's true because it is like it's used on so many recordings for so many different things it's, it's really so, a great it's mic. Classic. I, have a, I have a bunch of them myself okay so what about I know you you were telling me before that I think you did double tracking of guitar parts for this album, right? Yeah, that's right. 
Did you do anything different between the two parts or literally don't touch anything, just record it twice? I think it was pretty much uh, just doing it exactly the same the second time. Um, but I specifically didn't listen to the track was that I recorded first. I did not listen to that in recording again because I wanted to have slight differences. Having my performance entirely based off of like what the drum and the bass were doing. Totally agree with that. If you're playing like if to a drum track or whatever, you, you want to record everything to the drums. Because that exactly. gives you the, the tightest uh, performance on the recording. It does. And I mean, I've, I've had the experience of uh, recording demos where, you know, uh, there's no drums at first and everything sounds really good. And then you throw in drums and it just completely changes the feel. And because, you know, uh, as a guitarist, you weren't reacting to what the drummer was doing. It just it just kind of changes. It changes the feel and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily exactly fit. Cool, man. Well, let me give you a couple of rapid fire things here that I'm just curious about. Okay. What's your philosophy on tuning during recording? Like, okay. are you, how often are you tuning? Every take. Every take. Every take. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I, 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 I don't know. Like, I, I'm just a stickler. When I hear like a a note that's out of tune, even just in the slightest. It just it just irks me. And there was one time, oh my gosh, this was pretty funny. Um, so there was one time where uh, recording with my old band, I my tuning pedal betrayed me. Uh, <laughs> I had somehow in the middle of tuning, I changed it to be like 441 or something. Oh, no. <laughs> and I recorded one or two songs I recorded with that uh, tuning as the second guitar part and then like listening back. There, there's almost nothing that sounds worse than a note being unintentionally out of tune. I think you know. Yeah, it's that it's that classical musical training coming out of yeah, you. Maybe I get it, it is. Maybe it is. What about um? What about string changes? How often are you changing strings during uh, rec like the recording of you know the whole album? Let's say, how often are you changing strings? I don't think I changed strings the entire time we were recording. Um, on the instability of air. Um, I I think I changed my strings probably right before we started recording. And then I think the whole recording process from beginning to end probably, I, I, wish, I wish I knew exactly when it started, but I want to say it took at least like five or maybe six months. And that, that's not like we were, you know, in my basement killing ourselves every day. It was like, you know, just kind of trying to find time to work in and around our regular people's schedules. Last question I have for you before we talk a little bit about the just the album and the tour to close out. Um, who's the who's the biggest pain in the ass in Countdown from Ten in terms of being a tone snob? Oh, definitely me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I knew 100%. it. I, I just wanted to get it on the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely me. Yeah, the EP is called "On the Instability of Air." It's out right now. It's a great sounding EP. Uh, really like the tunes on there. Tell me a little, what's what's the name? How'd you guys come up with the name? And in general, you're an instrumental band. How do you come up with song names? I'm always curious about that. The So the record title, let's start with that. Um, the record title, really, honestly, we were, it was like maybe three weeks before we were going to announce the record, or maybe even less that, than that, like maybe like a week before. And we kind of floated ideas between the three of us, and none of it was really like capturing our interest then i think it was dan who said that he 
Dan Dan has his computer set so that uh, whenever he opens his internet browser, it opens to a random Wikipedia page. And <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. One day he got this page, which was I think it was called either on the instability or on the instabilities plural of air. And he kind of was just like, you know, I, I thought of this. Do you maybe like that one? And and we just went with it. It was the the one name that we had heard that we thought we could go with without regretting it, basically. And I think <laughs> it's funny, but yeah. I feel like I feel like a lot of the time that's kind of how bands arrive at decisions like that. Hopefully, countdown ten, countdown from ten goes uh, goes viral, but not coronaviral. That's oh my <laughs> that's, gosh, that's my hope for you guys. <laughs> You totally planned that, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did. I have it. I have it written I in my it. in my notes I here. Knew it. <laughs> you guys bring a great energy. Uh, I think your live shows are a ton of fun. I've seen it a couple of times. If um, I'll post a link to the tour schedule, and um, if you're coming through, if listeners, if uh, if Countdown from Tennis coming through your town, definitely worth checking out. Also, super friendly people. So we try. Highly recommended. All right, Cameron. Well, this has been a blast, man. I really enjoy uh, learning about the bits and pieces of your your rig and where your tone comes from. What else? What else do you want to say here? Sign off. Um, yeah, uh, go check out our new record. Um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, especially, um, you know, this show is all about DIY musicians, and we did all of it ourselves. Um, so, uh, yeah, go see what that sounds like. I guess it's called "On the Instability of Air." Uh, listen to it on. Uh, any of the streaming platforms, but especially Spotify, if you have it, um, you can buy it on Bandcamp if you want, but you can also just download it for free, um, which we also encourage. Right on, man. Well, this is perfect timing. My uh, my computer's about to die here. Thanks Same, again actually. for your time, and uh, <laughs> we'll be in touch, man. I look forward to catching up with you again. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. This has been fun. Right on. All right. See ya. Talk to you later. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.